Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's edition of The Tom Green Show, where we share stories that spark kindness, friendship, growth, and well-being. We really do believe that the next few minutes can help you live a happier and more rewarding life. For more stories like this, please visit www.tomgreen.com. Now, on to this week's show. Here's your host, Tom Green. The music of Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend can only mean one thing. It's time for another episode of the Tom Green Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of our bi-weekly podcast, bringing you strength for the journey. This is your host, Tom Green. I'm excited to be with you today to share today's episode. And as usual, I'm joined by my partner engineer in crime, Russell Pizzuto. Russell, how are you today? Doing great today. Thanks, Tom. Well, as, as you know, this podcast is intended to allow us a little more time to dive deeper into the stories that you'll find on our website at tomgreenwithane.com. And what we're trying to do is just bring you different ways to look at things and 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 to see things from a different perspective. And and from time to time, we'll also bring you some very special, special guests. So a quick note of housekeeping. Please feel free to reach out to us with comments or feedback on the show. You can find us on Facebook at Tom Green with an E blog. That's Tom Green with an E blog or on Twitter at Green underscore Tom. You can also send us an email directly. My email address is T at Tom Green with an E dot com. We'd love to hear from you and feel free to give us comments and constructive criticism on the show. So now that we have the housekeeping out of the way and if everything's squared away in the control booth, let's jump into today's show. So today's show is entitled Eight Inches from the Goat, Michael Jordan's First Failure. And so for all you boomers out there, when we talk about the goat, we're not talking about the barnyard animal. We're actually talking about G-O-A-T, the acronym greatest of all time, which is uh, if you're not familiar with that, you must have been in a coma for the last couple of years. But Michael Jordan is no doubt the goat when it comes to professional basketball. So you're likely listening to us on one of the major podcast platforms. If so, thanks so much for joining us there. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify on all the major podcast platforms. And you can also find the, the show notes for this episode contained uh, in the link to, to, to this show on Spotify and iTunes. So as most of you know, uh, we lost a, a great a legend, a champion in the sports world this year in 2020, Kobe Bryant. One of the one of Michael Jordan's fellow goats died in a tragic helicopter crash along with his daughter Gianna, and that got me thinking a lot about about these professional basketball players and and what they bring to us and what lessons in life they might teach us. Um, and in particular, if you know the story of Michael Jordan, who I'm sure is a big big fan of the show, I reached out to him to see if he wanted to be a guest, but he was he was tied up this week. But Michael Jordan, one of the greatest of all time, played for the Chicago Bulls an astonishing 15 seasons in the NBA, which is just just mind-boggling. And without a doubt, even when you set aside professional basketball, he's just clearly one of the greatest athletes of, of our generation. But what you, what you may not know about Michael Jordan is before he entered the NBA and became one of the GOATs, he was a Carolina Tar Heel where he broke a number of, of school records and in 1982, as a freshman, he hit the go-ahead jumper with 15 seconds left in a game to win the school's first national championship since 1957. And so he is lauded um, in the sports world as arguably the, the greatest basketball player of all time. But if you know Michael Jordan and you know his story, 
you're likely to know a little bit about number 23's past and the fact that before he came became one of the world's greatest round ball players, he was an absolute and complete failure on the basketball court. Back when Michael Jordan was a sophomore at Laney High School in Little Wilmington, North Carolina, he was actually rejected from the varsity squad. And now just imagine being the head coach of the varsity squad at Laney High School in Wilmington, North Carolina, and your claim to fame is your, your talent, your ability to spot talent was so weak that you actually rejected the greatest basketball player of all time from your, foot, from your basketball squad. In fact, he was not just rejected from the squad. He was actually uh, demoted down to the junior varsity. Uh, at the same time, his best friend, a guy named Leroy Smith, was chosen to take Michael Jordan's spot on the varsity team. Now, just imagine that. Your very best friend gets your spot on the basketball court. You're re- relegated back to, to the, the B team, to the, the weakest players in the school, the shortest players in the school, um, to – to try your talents in and among uh, uh, certainly none of which became uh, the greatest of all time in basketball. But when you look at the facts of the situation, it starts to make a little more sense. Smith was, was uh, not as good as Michael Jordan. Jordan was, was uh, arguably a, a better player than Leroy Smith. Um, but at that time, Michael Jordan was 5 feet 10 inches tall, and Leroy Smith was 6'6". Was six, six. So just, you know, tail of the tape, just looking at the stats, it was actually a pretty good decision on the coach's part to choose perhaps size over ability, particularly when these were kids, these were sophomores, and they weren't likely to play a lot of basketball on the varsity team. So the coach knew, hey, if I put these guys on the team, if I put Michael Jordan on the team, all he's really going to do is he's just going to ride the wood for the next year uh, at at five ten, he's probably not going to see any playing time at all, and his game will not develop. So the difference between Leroy Smith and Michael Jordan was a was a mere eight inches in height. But for all practical purposes, as the story says, Leroy Smith was eight inches from the goat. More importantly, in this story, the varsity coaches at Laney High School knew something that very few other folks knew. They knew that Michael Jordan just had tremendous potential. And they knew that if he played for the varsity squad, he would he would ride the wood, basically get splinters in his butt all season, and he'd watch game from the sidelines, and he'd probably be bitter, and who knows, he, he might wind up quitting basketball altogether. So they made an executive decision to actually demote him down to the B team. And the idea behind putting him on the B team was, rather than have him sit on the bench and have no experience, they wanted him to be in every single game to be, in some ways, viewed as the underdog, the kid who didn't make the varsity squad, and and to actually have to go out on the court and scrap it up in an environment where he might actually succeed um, and be seen as more of a superstar, um, as I like to say, kind of the, the uh, tallest guy in the room, although that probably doesn't apply here, and learn the, the game of basketball um, from a from a position of advantage uh, rather than playing the last 30 seconds of a varsity game in a position of a disadvantage being five feet, 10 inches tall. So I watched an interview with Michael Jordan recently just to get ready for writing this story and, and, um, and recording this podcast. 
and and he's pretty honest about that part of his life, and he actually told the story about how devastated he was when he when he walked into the locker room and his name was not on the roster for the varsity squad, and that he went home that night um, and spent the entire night in his room crying uncontrollably, which is pretty mind-boggling to think a guy at Michael Jordan's level of performance, clearly one of the greatest of all time, uh, makes the B team and ends up in his room crying uncontrollably before he ever starts to rise to the, the prominence that he shows today on the basketball court. So after he finished his pity party and stopped crying in his room, Jordan Jordan did what most champions do. If you if you read a lot about folks that rise from adversity, he dusted himself off and held his head high and put on that B team uniform and and used that piss and vinegar to become the greatest player of all time. So he channeled that energy. He channeled his failure. He channeled channeled undoubtedly his his anger, um, and and he went out and and kick some ass. And it reminds me of this great Michael Jordan quote um, that was in this show that I watched where he says, whenever I was working out and got tired and figured I ought to stop, I'd close my eyes and I'd see that roster in the locker room without my name on it. And that usually got me going again. And what a, what a great quote. I mean, what a, what a great uh, visual for him to cue in on to motivate himself and it makes me wonder, you know, what would we have done? What would you have done in a similar situation? You know, would you have put on the B-team uniform and, and gone out and, and practiced with the other kids that were 5'10 and the underclassmen? Um, would, you, would you have cleaned out your locker and decided to go play football or, or baseball? Um, or, or would you have, you know, pulled yourself up by your, your bootstraps and, and tried to make yourself a better player? I don't know what I would have done in that scenario, but I could see where in today's day and age, there are a lot of kids who would say, you know what, that coach just doesn't recognize my talent and I'm going to take my game someplace else, someplace where my, my talent is more appreciated than it is here at, at Laney High School. And that, that kind of goes along to uh, today's mantra. You know, we, we live in this world of, of everything is all or nothing. Some of that social media and some of it's just the pressure that our kids put on one another. But, you know, we're not really big in today's day and age on sort of working our way up, working our way out. We, we want to be the best. You know, we demand instant recognition. And I've had this conversation with my daughter many times of, you know, how, how interesting it is when you're a kid, you know, when somebody hands you a football and says, hey, throw this football. You know, there are some kids that just naturally can throw a tight spiral 40 yards and hit somebody in the chest their first time throwing a ball. And there are other kids that pick up a football and throw a wounded duck uh, 20 yards that becomes a worm burner. And, and the difference in a lot of cases is what puts the first kid on the football field and puts the second kid on, on the lacrosse field. And that is the, that in, you know, in kids' worlds, the assumption of talent is made so very quickly that, kids will quickly say, well, I'm just not good at football, or I'm just not good at golf. And a lot of times I like to say, well, gosh, how, how do you know? I mean, you've, you've never really played. And kids will say, well, I, I, I tried it once, and I wasn't any good at it. Well, in reality, you know, we don't become good at things. There are very few things in life we are good at naturally. 
most things in life that we are good at doing, um, we might, you know, have a little bit advantage over someone else, but over time, it's the the concentrated effort that we put into to things like sports that make us good at those sports. And it just kills me when I see kids say, I'm just not good at something. They're probably not good at it because they haven't really tried um, or because someone told them they're not good at it. And then they simply take their ball and go home. You know, we make fun a lot of times of sports programs that give kids participation trophies. And I'm certainly guilty of that. I've always thought that was the silliest thing to give a kid a trophy for just showing up. On the other hand, when you look at it from a different perspective and you say, we need to encourage kids to play sports. We need to encourage kids to participate, even when maybe this might not be their best sport. There's so much that they learn from team sports environments. And frankly, you can't have team sports without a team, which means you got to have a bunch of kids. And so, you know, giving these kids participation trophies, while it's a, it's re- it's a really easy whack for adults to take a swing at, um, it's also a great way to encourage kids that, even though you're not the best player on the court or on the field, it's great to get out there and try. And the flip side of that is true too, that if you're, if you're not Michael Jordan, um, you know, you're probably not as awesome as you think you are. Um, and all it takes is, is to find yourself in a world of, of more competitive athletes to find out you might be fantastic in one arena, but in another arena, a larger arena, you might find out you're not not as hot as you, you think you are. And part of the problem today is no one really wants to shoot you straight, right? Everybody wants to think they're great. And in a lot of cases, people are really comfortable telling you you're great because they don't want to, they don't want to hurt your feelings. But in reality, you know, I like to think there, you know, there's always somebody better looking. There's always somebody cooler, smarter, stronger, you know, pick, pick an adjective. There's always somebody better than you. And in, I guess in Michael Jordan's case, there was actually somebody that wasn't better than him, just simply somebody that was eight inches taller. And I imagine that was a really tough pill to swallow, particularly for somebody who knew his talent was better than, than his best friend. But a lot of people hear the story and they think that the high school coaches must have just been stupid, that maybe in the small town in Wilmington, North Carolina, maybe the basketball coaches didn't know how to identify talent. Um, or maybe maybe they were the history teacher that just ended up having to coach the basketball team because the last guy quit, and that maybe they just failed to recognize the talent they had right in front of them on the basketball court. And even Michael Jordan will say today that that's not true, um, that he believes that the coaches that put him on the JV squad really recognized his talent. They knew he was good. They also knew he was short. And so rather than sitting down on the bench um, and watching his best friend run up and down the court for game after game after game, they wanted to find an arena where he could get confident, where he could develop his talent, and where he could get some serious playing time in in an arena where he could really shine and where his confidence could bloom. And oh, by the way, um, at the same time, you know, with any luck, where he might grow a few inches (laughs) while he's on, on the B team. So interestingly enough, you know, had, had Michael Jordan had gotten what he wanted, had Michael Jordan ridden the bench and maybe scored a few points at the end of the game where, where the game wasn't in question, in all likelihood, he would not have developed into the star 
that he was destined to be and certainly would not have developed into what we think of as the greatest basketball player of all time. But even after Michael Jordan became the world-renowned number 23 for the Chicago Bulls, he 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 had that underdog mentality and he he still says that today that he still still thinks of himself as a basketball player, he still thinks of himself as that 5 foot 10 inch B team basketball player from that small high school in Wilmington, North Carolina. And a lot of that is because when he when he envisions himself as the underdog, when he envisions himself as being 5 foot 10 inches and playing on the B team, he's motivated by it. And that motivation of being set down has actually driven Michael Jordan for his entire career. And it's such a great message for us because in reality, disappointments and setbacks are all part of God's plan for our lives. And I I know from my perspective, I've had many, many disappointments. And in a lot of cases, when you're disappointed by things, it's very difficult to see the bigger vision. You know, we can get pretty trapped in our own myopic view of our world and our own little pity party. And I often say to folks that I work with, if we aren't failing on a regular basis, we probably aren't pushing ourselves hard enough. And it's sort of like a baseball player who steps up to the plate. You know, if, if you're not, if you don't go down swinging every once in a while, you know, it's really hard to hit a ball out of the park when you're not swinging. And I think in business, it's really hard to hit those major league successes unless you're putting yourself in an arena where sometimes you feel like you don't belong. And I love this Michael Jordan quote that I found uh, in this documentary where he says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. Now imagine tracking that. He's missed more than 9,000 shots. And I've lost almost 300 games, 26 times, I've been trusted to take the winning shot with the scoreboard down to one second, and I actually missed that shot. And I relived that failure over and over and over again in my mind. Now, what a quote from one of the greatest champions of all time. He actually has has tracked his failures, and it's pretty clear his his failures have motivated him as much as his championship rings have. And it goes back to the story of Michael Jordan at Laney High School and, and how that applies to our lives. I mean, we can choose to quit. And in fact, quitting a lot of times is a heck of a lot easier than persevering, particularly when our ego is bruised, particularly when we're sent down to the B team. You know, it's pretty easy for us just to fold up our tent and go home. Or we can embrace uncertainty and we can see the possibility in it instead of, instead of the danger uh, or the humiliation. And it happened to me last year in business. I had a number of business setbacks in January that made me really question if I'd finally lost my mojo in business. You know, maybe I just didn't have it anymore, whatever I defined it to be. And I really spent the whole year questioning um, what I was doing wrong. And in reality, as the year ended up, I hadn't done anything wrong. I just I just been dealt some bad cards in some situations, and was able to rally at the end of the year and and sort of get my mojo back. But but, you know, I think it happens to all of us that we question whether we still have the, the it factor, whatever it is in our world. I don't know where you were last April 
around springtime when the flowers were popping out of the ground and uh, the dogwoods were blooming. But we had another goat, another greatest of all time, pull off one of the greatest sports come comebacks in American history. Um, back last April, a guy named Tiger Woods, who'd been largely written off into the, the history books of golf, came back into the Masters to participate and actually executed not just one of the greatest comebacks in sports history, but also the greatest comeback in Masters history to win the Masters on the final day. And I was just fortunate enough to be there in Augusta when this happened. And if you missed this, you'd have to have been in a physician-induced coma. For those of you who know Tiger Woods and his career, he's He's had an amazing, amazing golf career, but also an extremely checkered recent past with a number of family issues and some addiction issues and has had a number of surgeries that would have ended pretty much anybody else's career. And I'm quite a golf fan. If you had asked me if Tiger Woods would ever win again, uh, much less win a, a major tournament in golf, I would have I would have told you there's absolutely positively no way Tiger Woods will ever win anything again. In fact, there was one point in his career where he couldn't even swing a golf club. And so similar to Michael Jordan, a man who was written off to say he'll never play golf again, not only did he get himself back in shape, he got himself back in fighting shape and he got himself back in a position to win uh, the greatest golf tournament played in the professional golf world, the Masters in Augusta, Georgia. So these are two great examples of how we might embrace uncertainty and embrace failure and use that energy that we get from failure to channel ourselves uh, towards success rather than failure. And these two gentlemen really give us wonderful examples of how to do that. And if you look at Michael Jordan's career from the University of North Carolina to the Chicago Bulls, he, he went on to break numerous NBA records and is, is uh, by any measure, the most decorated NBA player of all time. And he's done more to advance the popularity of the sport than any modern player. And even today, if you look at, if you, if you show the Michael Jordan logo, which is simply the silhouette of him flying through the air, getting ready to dunk a ball, you can show that to any kid who was not even alive when Michael Jordan was playing professional NBA basketball, and that kid will say, that's Michael Jordan right there. That's that's Michael Jordan flying through the air. That's his logo. And that's an amazing thing to do, to transcend time in sports. There are not many, not many professional athletes who've been able to do that. And it reminds me of another great um, Michael Jordan quote, which says, I can accept failure. Everyone fails at some point, but I simply cannot accept not trying. And even today, uh, while he's no longer playing professional basketball, he's the principal owner and CEO of the, Char- uh, the Charlotte Hornets in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, and not only that, when you look back at folks who are, who are the brand names in today's professional basketball world, um, when you look back at folks like Kobe Bryant and Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, you know, those guys will, will – will tell you and have, have said in, in their own ways that Michael Jordan was their inspiration. They grew up watching Michael Jordan play basketball, and it was, it was his ability to play the game at the level at which he played it 
that cause others to want to emulate his fantastic career. So the lesson here is pretty simple. You'll, you will often fail uh, at things in life, and you'll often fail if you're pushing yourself really, really hard. There's a Navy SEAL that's fairly visible in the motivational world named David Goggins. He's written a couple of books, and they say that he's, he's likely the most famous Navy SEAL of all time. Goggins is actually the current world record holder for the most pull-ups done in 24 hours, and just in case you want to try to knock him off, uh, he's done 4,025 pull-ups in 24 hours. He also finished uh, the Badwater 135, which is a 135-mile race in Death Valley uh, and is also an amazing Ironman triathlete. But one of the things I, I love about David Goggins is he is the he is sort of the founder of this principle called the 40% principle, which means when you get to a point where you feel like you've, you've exhausted your capabilities, so when you get to the point where you don't feel like you can do another push-up or run another mile, you actually have 40% left in the tank. It's just a matter of what methods you use to access that 40%. And he gives a great example of when you look at these major marathons like the New York Marathon or the Chicago Marathon, and you look at the finish the finisher uh, statistics, what you find is 99% of all people that cross the start line also cross the finish line, which tells you that people can do a whole lot more than they think they can do. And it's just a matter of, of digging deep into that tank and trying to find that energy that gives you that that extra boost. And Michael Jordan said once, my attitude is that if you push me towards something that you think is a weakness, then I will turn that perceived weakness into a strength when you least expect it. And that's one of the things that that certainly he made himself great. And the lesson here is, are we really pushing ourselves as hard as we can? Are we really accessing that extra 40% that's still in the tank? Or are we simply stopping at a point where our discomfort becomes such that we think it's, it's time to stop? So do we, do we tuck tail and, and wallow in our defeat and vow to never try again? Or do we try to be like Mike and, and dust ourselves off and put on the JV uniform and use that defeat to build a fire to become the greatest of all time. You know, you simply can't think of number 23 or certainly of the Chicago Bulls without, without thinking of the greatest, the greatest player of all time, Michael Jordan. He's a true champion, and there's no better proof of using failure to energize success than Michael Jordan's story of getting relegated to the B team. For Michael Jordan, disappointment and setback resulted in a redoubling of his efforts and frankly, it should be the same for all of us. Technically, if, if we don't fail once in a while, you know, we're probably not trying hard enough. And so I'll leave you with a couple of questions this week. Um, when have you quit when you might have had a little bit left in the tank? And what are you working on right now where you're near exhaustion or near the failure point where you might be able to dig deep and find that 40% left in the tank? I know I'm thinking about it. I hope you're thinking about it too. And I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Our team works hard to bring you engaging and inspirational content. And we have some great guests lined up in the coming weeks, folks like Tommy Newberry and Marla Dean Brooks that I know you're going to enjoy. So before you go, I'd like to ask you a quick favor. 
reach out and let me know how we can improve the show, or just reach out and say hello. It's always great to hear from our listeners. You can reach me at t at tomgreenwithane.com, or on Facebook, Tom Green with an E blog, or on Twitter, Green underscore Tom. And thanks so much for joining us today on the Tom Green Show. And remember, please always think of our motto, nothing beats nice. <laughs>